Joining us for this edition of Track Record on Share Radio is Dave Burse. He's worked in the music industry. He's worked in the advertising and marketing industries. Now he works in the corporate world, helping organisations and individuals unleash and form ideas and better still put them into action. He's also a published author. Now, given that you have this career in music, I'm really curious to see what music lies ahead here, Dave. But uh, let me just say, first of all, thank you and welcome to Share Radio. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Can I start by asking you about early ambitions? Because you're someone who's got a very mixed CV. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you were (laughs) we... Where did the passions lie? Well, it's part of being we, really. I was um, growing up in Scotland. I was told that my country people had invented the world. You know, we'd invented radio, television. My, my mother grew up round the corner from John Logie Baird, inventor of the television, invented penicillin, we invented hypodermic syringes, logarithms, the adhesive on the backs of postage stamps, penicillin, refrigerators. Uh, you know, it goes on. We, we invented the modern world. You were told the Celts were unstoppable, were you? Absolutely. And for a few years, we were, we were on fire. Um, and then <laughs> I, I was really interested in this whole area of innovation and creativity, this ability to come up with world-changing ideas. And that became the absolute focus of what I wanted to do. And I don't think I particularly excelled at school or at uh, at university, but I was just fascinated with this ability to come up with ideas. So I ended up pursuing different creative careers. I became a a musician as I left Mm. university, and I was a session musician and a recording engineer for a few years, and I would tour and I'd play like 30 or 40 different instruments. I would just go into the studio and, uh, and and play whatever was needed. Everything from what to what? From... From tambourines uh, to guitars? I, I kind of split into three different things. I, w- I would play tambourines and people would... Or, or the triangle and people say, but that's not an instrument. And then I get the triangle out and go, listen to this. And they play some funky thing in the triangle. They're going, whoa, I didn't know you could get that out of that. You just thought it was like, ding. So, um... <laughs> I, I'd play sort of mainly three different things. I played lots of blues. So I play slide guitar, normal guitar, bass guitar, Hammond organ, harmonica. Uh, always still carry a harmonica with me. You've, already, right you've already named uh, three or four I- instruments that um, are not musically trained at all, but they're very evocative instruments, very yes. emotional instruments. That's not to say that you get that from every musical instrument, of course, but the Hammond organ in particular, you cannot fail to be stirred by the opening (laughs) bars of a tune played on an organ. Oh, yeah. It's it's a beautiful instrument. Um, But I also played um, world music, so I'd play um, a little bit of Indian classical music. I'd play sitar, rabab, oud, Middle Eastern stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I built my own electronica. So I'd grunt boxes and bleep machines and all sorts of weird scientific things, and I'd play theremin. And so, so I was, I, I this, I've never been able to stick at doing one thing. So even as a musician, I played about forty different instruments, and it's because I just cannot stick at doing one thing. And even within that um, scope of creativity, were you still thinking, perhaps this is not where I stop and start career-wise? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never really. I mean, the whole thing is that track record is supposed to be about looking at people's careers. I don't think I've ever had a career. I've had lots of things that I've done that have interested me. Lots of passionate um, You're interests. a doer of stuff, aren't you? Yes. And <laughs> um, I've been very, very fortunate that I've managed to, over the years, be able to pay the rent with, with what I do. Um, and uh, it's, it's never made me rich, but it's 
has given me a breadth of uh, breadth of experience. In the bit of conversation we've had already, you've talked about um, thinking and creativity, and that's very much your bag at the moment. And yes. our conversation will go there uh, <laughs> in the course of track record. But it's also about the music and the music that you have chosen. In the first instance, we've got Blues Brothers. Everybody needs somebody to love, don't we all? Why have you chosen this? Oh, it's just such happy music. Um, the Blues Brothers are one of these bands that I can I can come back to again and again. And I think I'm just about to go through another Blues Brothers phase in my life. Um, it just it just makes me so happy, um, and, and that's really the only reason that I've chosen this track. Absolute classic from the Blues Brothers on track record. Everybody needs somebody to love. You're listening to Track Record on Share Radio. These choices coming from Dave Burse, who joins us. How do you best describe yourself? (laughs) Um, We've had managing directors. We've had entrepreneurs. We've had CEOs. We've had bishops and MPs join us on track record. Next on the list is you. Yeah, I don't fit comfortably into any pigeonhole. I guess creative obsessive would be maybe a term I would use. That I'm, I'm just really fascinated with with how people and how organisations can come up with ideas that are new and valuable. And that that's really what my my interest is all about. It's every form of creativity from uh, artistic expression through to businesses solving problems. Mm-hmm. I, I just I'm I'm fascinated with how the brain works and how organisations as well can either be welcoming to ideas or can be toxic to ideas. You touch on something interesting there, that whatever the business, whatever the product, uh, whoever the people, there can be creativity in in any office, in any environment. Oh, absolutely. There, Even in the most stolid of industries. Yeah, there are people, of course, when I when I go into businesses and I talk to them about how to come up with ideas, you'll get people who will naturally stick their hand up and go, oh, not me, I'm not creative. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these things that it frustrates me because we're, we're all born creative. We all give us a, a box of cranes when we're five and ask us to draw a space alien and we'll draw something. It'll be horrendous, but we'll draw something and hand over with complete pride. This is valuable as far as we're concerned. And uh, you do the same to someone at the age of eight. 
and they go, uh, what, what do you mean draw a space alien? What, what do you, but they're better at drawing than me. I, I can't do this. I'm not good at drawing. And we start to get these filters, these can't-do filters that come up. And very often what I do is I work with people and I work with companies to remove those filters because we all have the ability inside. We just start putting up these ways of saying no. I can't do that. <laughs> and very often it comes out of fear. And it can come out with fear all the way back at school when teachers give them the impression that there's only a right and a wrong way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So, so there's not this happy middle ground of this maybe, what if. And then people get into the workplace and it gets worse. You know, that it's you have to do things the way we do things around here. You suggest then, that we forget to question as well. Oh, hugely. People prefer to do than to think. Mm-hmm. And very often, to be honest, it's not necessarily about creativity. Uh, what I help people do is I free them up to think. Um, because I think applied thinking is what we need in business. Mm-hmm. And too many people are just... If you're all about doing and you're all about productivity and efficiency and trying to get better and better at stuff, you're replaceable by the machines. Because machines can do repetitive tasks better than humans can. And thinking is the one thing that machines can't yet do very mm-hmm. well. We lose sight of what thoughts and ideas feel like and look like, don't we? Um, and perhaps many of us are still stuck with the notion that an idea is something that hits you out of the blue. It is literally that ping moment. Yeah, the eureka moment. And, and it's, yeah. it's not always that. No. For everybody, the process is different, would you argue? I'd say the process is relatively the same for, for everyone and whatever they're doing. Where I mean, you can put it down to what computers do. You've got input, you've got process and you've got output. And people very often think it's to do with the process. I, I need to know how to come up with ideas. I need to, Actually, that's not the important part. The important part's the input. And if you don't have the very interesting input, you cannot have very interesting output. If you are not feeding your mind with, a, with interesting and valuable information, you cannot generate interesting and valuable ideas. The processing bit is actually secondary in many ways. But there's a process that we all go through, and I've got an acronym for it, which is Right, R-I-G-H-T, and you've got research, so you need to put the information in. Mm-hmm. You've got insights, you need to apply thinking to this information to work out what the important parts are. Then you've got generates, so you generate the ideas based on those insights. Then you've got hone, so you make the, your ideas better, mm-hmm. you improve them. And then you've got test, because you don't want to just put it out there. You want to see, what, you want to test it and adapt it and make it better. So this kind of process, I think, applies to just about everything. Dave Burst, we'll talk some more in a moment or two, but your next track record choice is from Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Tell me what you've chosen and why. Oh, frenzy. This, this track, unbelievable. 1957 it was recorded. That's 60 years ago. And no one was performing like this back then. But what amazes me about Screaming Jay Hawkins is that being a singer as he was here, what he became famous for was not Plan A, Plan A was actually wanted to be an opera singer. Mm -hmm. He failed at that. Plan B, he became a boxer. He was actually quite good at being a boxer, but he moved on from that. Plan C, he became a backing musician for other people's bands. You know, and then he decided to go it alone. And he was several, you know, he was was way past Plan B before he actually got success. And I think very often that's what my life's like, I think. My journey through careers has been like that. And, And I think I've run out of letters of the alphabet.
This is Track Record on Share Radio, and that is Frenzy from Screamin' Jay Hawkins. It's second on the list of track record choices from Dave Burse, who joins us, a creative obsessive. Those are his words, <laughs> uh, not necessarily mine. Uh, you mentioned an early career in music, um, uh, working in sessions and so on, and uh, the broad scope of talent that you had across some 40 instruments or some such. <laughs> uh, you've worked, though, in film, in radio, comedy, um, even for a time in graffiti poetry. Yes. Um, now, 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 in the world of media, I can quite clearly see how uh, one career path can, can bounce you into several different areas. So was, was this a family of experiences that you had? Yeah, I think that's a very good way to put it. I, I think that a lot of the things I do, there's been a, a lot of overlap. So with with the poetry, I was interested in poetry, and, and really mainly it was my uh, poetic influence would be more Dr. Zeus than uh, <laughs> anyone else. Oh, the places um, you'll go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I was writing poetry, and, and I thought what would be an interesting thing to do with this, because if I publish my poetry in a book, it'll end up in the part of the bookshop that no one goes to. The part of the library that just gathers dust, you know, the, you open up and the last stamp in there was from 2003. And, and, and it's like, I don't want to be in those, have my work in those places. So instead of expecting people to go to the poetry, I'll take poetry to the people. And I would do poems on stickers and on cards and I would take them and I'd put them out on the street because I thought that was a more interesting way to do it. And I was doing this round about the time that Banksy was first getting known and I got this um, nickname of the, the literary Banksy, which, I mean, which was rubbish. He should have been, he should have been called the sort of graphic version of the gorilla poet, which is what my name was. Um, and, and someone from the BBC had been following what I was doing because I basically hand-coded my own blog before blogs existed uh, where I put up these poems. And I put up um, PDFs that, that people could print out themselves of the poems that I stuck up. Um, and someone from the BBC had been following me, so I get invited onto a, a radio show to talk about graffiti. And there was somebody there who was in part of this debate on Radio 4 about, um, this is terrible, this is destruction of poetry. And I was like, well, destruction of property, sorry. not destru- It wasn't destruction, it was creation of poetry. Um, and, and I was like, actually, you need to take graffiti and we need to split it in Venn diagram land into two different circles there and you've got street art which adds value and I hope that the stuff that I do adds value to people and makes them think and gives them a moment and then you've got vandalism Mm -hmm. and vandalism is destruction of property so we have to understand that graffiti isn't just one thing and they ended up giving getting me a, a regular show on Radio 4 and on Radio 7, writing poems live on air with kids. <laughs> so I, I ended up being a, a broadcaster for a few years, doing this as one of my one of my things on the side. And as a creative outlet, tell me about the, the enjoyment you had doing that. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. It was terrifying. When, uh, particularly when you're, you're on air mm-hmm. and the, you've got five six-year-olds and you have to take them and... You've got, right, OK, Dave's going to go away for 10 minutes. He's going to write poems with each of the you kids. Haven't, you haven't <laughs> pitch, you're having to pitch it right for them. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 and and mould it. 
and and keep the words coming and keep it flowing and all the while the clock is ticking exactly yeah. exactly and it's, it's it was absolutely terrifying but i loved that i loved that flying in the seat of my pants mm-hmm. and and having to create on a very very uh, tight restriction you worked in advertising as well dabbled yeah. in film yes and telly for a time i i did i did a tv series about uh, 3 4 years ago it was a six part documentary series looking at innovation and I I don't do things in small measures. So I um six half hour episodes I I wrote them, I directed them and I presented them and I wrote all the music for the show and I did some of the editing, I did some of the motion graphics <laughs> and it was just I learned as much as I could in the Are process you a of doing this. Give it here kind of guy. I yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I, I guess having been been a creative director in advertising. Mhm. I, I can be a. I've got high standards, and I believe that excellence is good enough, mm. and that's what I aim for. So I, I try very, very hard at things. I've got high standards, and I, I even as a musician, I got frustrated with uh, putting bands together for myself when I was a singer-songwriter. That I could very often play the music, the instruments mm-hmm. better than my musicians could, and that was frustrating because they weren't doing it quite the way I wanted. So I, I, I am that guy. I am a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> uh, we need people who've worked with you uh, to be here to to enter into this debate, I, I rather suspect. Next up on your list is Raspberry Beret by Prince. Uh, tell me why you've gone for this one. Well, I used to, as a teenager, play in a covers band. And this is one of the tracks that I remember when we played this Everyone would get up on the dance floor and it was just, it's got such wonderful memories for me. And the riff in it is just wonderful. So I'm yeah, big fan of Prince. You know that moment where people scrape their chairs back and they stand up? <laughs> tell, tell me how magical that is as a, as a musician. Oh, that, that really is. I mean, you are just engaging with people. You're making people move. You're making their bodies do things that they weren't expecting themselves. That, that is quite a magical thing. It's almost like the, the Pied Piper moment where you're doing something with music and it is having an effect that cannot be controlled. Dave Burse is alongside. He would 
shy away from this description as a thought leader. <laughs> but I can also describe you as an author, as yes. a keynote speaker. Um, you've presented, you're a, a creative. We've heard a lot about your creative and media backgrounds so far. At what point, Dave, did you... Um, I was going to say make the leap, but I don't think it was probably as, mm-hmm. as, as neat as that or as packaged as that. At what point did you take what you knew, what you learned, your own idea, processing, process, from the world of, of creativity and media into business? When did you start to see this could be applied, that you mm-hmm. had you had, um, you had a strategy that would work in corporate life? Ah, oh, strategy. I, I need to work on. I need to. Was I it like to, that? No, I need to. I, I need to develop a strategy. That's that's a good point. Um, I, okay, as as <laughs> as the next turn in your career, then. Um, well, on in 2010, I left the advertising industry, and I I felt that it was no longer no longer feeding my soul, I guess. And I was interested in in the future of of how you could apply original thoughts let's call it creative thinking or, or use fresh ideas to transform businesses in a way that was more fundamental than just filling rectangles of media space. So I left in 2010 and, and I started to, I created a, an education company, um, which was to try and teach the advertising and marketing industries and media industries how to work across media better. Because what had happened is the world of marketing had gone from it just having Advertising, so you know, like uh, TV, radio, press, poster, and PR, and some sales promotion, and that was it. And um, when I started in the industry in the early nineties, and then the internet came along, and then since then, this pie that only previously had four or five slices has now it's it's got tiny slivers of lots of stuff. And what's that? What that has meant was that, is that not enough to keep you though in the advertising industry? At the no, time? because I was very frustrated because I was interested in actually having. Uh, an impact on business, not just not just trying to fill these rectangles of media space, which is what it kind of was feeling like at the time. So I wanted to actually have a proper measurable impact on business. And I felt that all these tiny slivers of pie were not working together properly in a way that was effective. And that was the reason that I wanted to leave. And I wanted to teach people how to do, how to get these things working together better. So I I left it and started offering this to the advertising and marketing industry. At the time, there was the most terrible crash and there was no money. And all the media companies went, yeah, we've got a complete block on all training. We're not investing in any of this. So, of course, I had to pivot and uh, I, I had to go, well, what else am I going to do? And I've just been doing a whole myriad of things. And, and the truth is that I can't really do just one thing. I think I would self-sabotage if I did just the one thing. So I always have a portfolio of things going on. And that kind of led to me doing broadcast work, to um, writing books, to going in and consulting for companies. And really, it's kind of led to me where I am just now, trying to bring it all together as a, everything that I do is trying to demystify creativity and innovation. But I do that through a number of ways. I do that through writing. I do it through uh, speaking. Um, I do it through consulting, and I've got a business that uh, um, gives people a framework to help them solve problems more effectively. You don't need to name them, but can you tell me something of the the first business or the first business environment that you went to? Oh, my first ever business environment. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that, that would, uh, Did I, you ask or were you invited? Uh, was this after I left advertising? Yeah, yeah. Oh, after, okay. I, I don't need to talk about my, my first job in a restaurant being underpaid and illegally No, no, illegally we don't need to work. talk about that. <laughs> was that part of the pivot? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, it was very often, it was the marketing industry that would pull me in because they knew who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would go in, I would talk to people and I'd... And what they really wanted was techniques. How do we come up with ideas? They wanted brainstorm techniques. And, I, and over the years, I've become more and more convinced that brainstorms don't work. Research shows they don't work. But these places wanted brainstorm techniques, which, to be honest, is a quick and lazy fix to the fact that they're not coming up You use the phrase blowing up the brainstorm, don't you? Oh, I hate brainstorms, yes. They, they, research... They, this, this brains, the word brainstorm feels like corporate speak from 1982 or something, doesn't it? Oh, it's it? beyond that. They're 75 years old last year. Really? 75 <laughs> years old. And they, um, in that time, there's been about 100 academic studies, almost all of which debunk brainstorms as being absolute nonsense, that you will get more diverse ideas, more interesting ideas, more valuable ideas from taking the same group of people and getting them working independently for the same amount of time than putting people in a room. It's just psychologically and um, in terms of the value you get out of it, brainstorms are just terrible. So I, I show people a better way of coming up with ideas. It's a more effective way of getting to more effective ideas. All right, we'll come on to this in a little bit more detail, I suspect, in a moment or two. Back on the music, though, and on your track record list, you've gone for Cross Time Traffic from Jimi Hendrix. Oh, I've no idea how he played this track or wrote this track. It, to me, it's just, it blows my mind. I mean, you, you listen to it with headphones, which I recommend if you've not got headphones on right now, put headphones on right now. And you will be just lost in the moment, it. yeah? It is all over the place. And when I discovered Hendrix, I was 16, and... I was learning to play guitar and this guy was getting sounds out of his instrument I'd never heard before and since then he's just been an absolute hero of mine um, and is one of these artists again I can listen to again and again and never get bored and this is one of my favourite Hendrix tracks. track record on Share Radio. On this edition, we're joined by Dave Burse. He's one of the speakers in the Thought Expansion Network. He's a published author. Um, You speak, you're a keynote speaker. You've been uh, around the UK and uh, around the world. We were getting onto something interesting before Jimi Hendrix (laughs) and the idea of blowing up the brainstorm. And it was interesting to hear what you say, that um, often a a heads-apart approach is different and more valuable than a heads-together approach, because... 
despite what you say, that academia has proved that it doesn't really work to get loads mm. of people sitting around a table and all talking about the same thing at the same time. Um, that's still the approach that we take. So why do we take that? Why, why, do, why do managers, why do leaders want to pull their team together to see what results? It's because it's all we know. People aren't educated on how to come up with ideas. It's very often it's an exercise in covering your backside, is it not? So, so somebody, a senior person will say to their staff, look, I want you to come up with some ideas for this. Can you sort this out? And they go, yes. And they get some people together. They do a brainstorm. Somebody um, scribbles up what is being said around the room on a flip chart. Then they peel off these four or five sheets of flip chart and this stack of post-it notes. And they give it to the office junior to type up. And the office junior types it up and they get this document back and it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nothing of any value came. And then the boss comes and says, how did you get on with that? And they go, well, you know, we, we had a brainstorm. Um, did you get any good ideas? Not, not and really. And actually what nothing, they've done is really they've Microsoft worded the creativity out of it, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the diffusion of responsibility. At that point, they can blame it on... We had loads of people in, the, in there with people from the, we didn't come up with any ideas. It's now it's no longer their responsibility. The, the responsibility is diffused over everyone who was in the brainstorm session. Now, we're never taught in business, really, how to properly come up with ideas. And yes, there is brainstorm training. I would say that I've experienced it and most of it is pretty lame. And I don't think it really solves the problem properly because it's only the central part. It's not... It's not understanding how you need to start and how you need to finish the process. Um, it doesn't teach people how to judge ideas. And that's one thing that we we don't really know how to judge in business. We're not taught how to judge. Yet physiologically, mm-hmm. it involves our whole body, really. We've got... All our thinking isn't just done in this meatball on the top of our necks. We've... Our stomachs. We've got the equivalent of two guinea pig brains of neurons in our stomachs. Mm-hmm. And these actually physiologically react when we're judging when there's something that's alien your stomach flips of course because you've not seen it before it's, it makes you feel uncomfortable we kind of just go oh that that's it I feel nervous about it I'll say no but actually what your gut is saying is this is something I'm not familiar with pay more attention to it mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. stomachs don't have eyes that's why they send that message to the brain so that our eyes and our ears and our rational thought can be applied to this emotional reaction And it's to understand that we need a balance when it comes to judging between emotion and logic. And this is one of the the worst things, I think, in business, is that we then judge out of safety and security and familiarity rather than on what is the right thing to move the business forward. You've used that word again, right. You've touched on that already, haven't you? (laughs) I use it a lot. Starting from (laughs) research and working through... Insight to generating ideas, honing, testing. All right, Okay. You're listening to Track Record on Share Radio. Dave Burse is alongside. Uh, We've talked, haven't we already, about um, how diverse your own CV has been across a range of creative industries, working in the advertising industry, leaving around uh, 2010 uh, to do something different. You talked about pivoting, pivoting and looking elsewhere. Uh, and, And even now you say you still like your week to be a range of different activities on different days. But is your work more or less in the corporate world now? I, I guess so, on the whole. At, at the moment, I'm, I've taken three months out from actually doing what would be considered day-to-day work, where um, last week I started writing a new book. Mm-hmm. So I've got a new book coming out. It's a, a theory, my theory of um, 
I guess let's use the word creativity because it's what people are most familiar with, the, the ability of people in organisations to come up with ideas. And um, I've got uh, eight and a half weeks left to write this book and it'll hopefully be out just before Christmas. So, so at the moment I am really heads down tapping away on a keyboard um, but other than that, I'm, I'm usually found on a stage talking to business people normally uh-huh. Uh-huh. or within companies consulting for businesses or, or helping people in business generate ideas to solve problems. OK. And what kind of reactions do you tend to generate when you're on stage, when the headset's on, when you're holding forth? <laughs> do you get people who look up from the second or third row who fold their arms and, and give that kind of tilt of the head and what on earth is this guy talking about what is wrong with a brainstorm <laughs> do you get that do you get skepticism um it depends on the audience so if i'm speaking to people in creative industries i will get a lot of people nodding their heads uh-huh. um and coming up to me afterwards and, and, and saying that i've explained things to them that helps them understand what they do better which is good um if I'm speaking, I've, I've, I've spoken to financial advisors or financial consultants uh, where, of course, the, the way that I dress, I don't necessarily fit in. I'm not a very pinstripe person. And the, the room very much was a totally cold room, um, no nodding, no anything. Um, and if anything, people come up to me afterwards and said that I'd scared them. Um, because I was talking about how the future lies in fresh thinking, mm-hmm. not in uh, historical. And it's like, come on, isn't that obvious? <laughs> isn't that obvious? <laughs> that the, the, w- the way you do things now is not the way you're going to be doing things in the future. Isn't that not the way the world is works? That sort of a compliment in a very loose way. It is. That, that a, a room full of suits say to you, you've, you've scared us now. Yeah. yeah. It, it's... Yes, it, you've it made is. Their, you've made I, their stomachs flip. But I also, I, I don't want to scare people. I want to show people the better way forward. But of course, people like to stay within, I call it the circle of normality, this, this norm. People like to stay within the norm. And the norm is where obvious is. The norm is where nobody really questions things or has to think. And, and I don't think that is a very, it's not a place that would satisfy me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I try to show people how to break out of the norm, to be able to move business forward. And it's not just about moving into the future for the sake of it. It's about actually trying to make yourself better, to offer more value to your customers, to differentiate yourself in the market. And and that is the valuable thing for business. And, and I, it's, it's the companies that don't want that. They, can't, they want to want it, but they don't actually want it, if that makes sense. They don't know how to reach out and grab it, necessarily, yeah. do they? <laughs> Next up on your track record list is Can't Be Satisfied from Muddy Waters. Uh, tell us why this makes your list. Oh, as, as a teenager, um, I started playing uh, in the school heavy metal band. And ACDC was my favourite uh, band back then. But of course, when you're passionate about something, you're curious about something, you start to investigate. What is it? What other bands are like ACDC? What, what bands uh, influenced ACDC? And you start to work out what it was that made them who they were. And as I worked my way back, I've, I worked my way back to the blues. And when I started discovering these old blues guys, it just, to me, I had found my musical home. This was just beautiful. And I think because Muddy Waters had this fantastic slide guitar playing, there was, he had little Walter playing harmonica for him. 
His, his expressiveness and the way that he growled and grunted into the microphone was just phenomenal. Um, I, I, just, I just love Muddy Waters. And this track to me is probably my favourite Muddy Waters track. is track record on Share Radio featuring Can't Be Satisfied by Muddy Waters. The musical choices, the career chat as well, comes from Dave Burse, who is alongside uh, one of the speakers in the Thought Expansion Network. He's a published author. He's worked across many creative industries. Um, taking some time out at the moment, you say, to do a little bit of writing and then back into speaking the business world perhaps again. Is there is there an area of business that you would really, really like to get to grips with? Healthcare. Why? I think it's, uh, as, as I get older, I know I'm going to need it. <laughs> I, th- I think that healthcare is, is an area that's about to go through quite a radical transformation. And part of that is because it's having difficulties at the moment um, according to the american president we are we're having terrible terrible troubles over here with nhs but it, we, we're there's so much that we are learning as well science wise that is just extraordinary as we start to look at what we call the microbiome mm. um, that when only about 10% of the cells in a human body are in fact human 90% of the cells then are non-human and that is extraordinary that that we have been dealing with human ailments using chemistry rather than biology. And as we start to look at this and we're starting to to map the microbiome and and all the sort of flora that we've got in our gut and how that affects us, we've already found that the the balance of bacteria in our guts um, affect things like depression. So we can link all of these things back. We're about to go through a renaissance in medical understanding. And to me, that's such an exciting place to be. And I don't see my skills as being particularly about marketing or about engineering or any of these things. And yes, I do have skills there, I guess. Um, But to me, it's about ideas, um, coming up with new ideas and 
bringing the best ideas to fruition. And to me, that's what I get so excited about with healthcare at the moment. And this is what successive health ministers have grappled with, how to run the NHS. Because it's uh, a business, it's an organisation quite unlike any other. Yes. Quite unlike any other. Is there a solution? I, I think... Uh, Room for, for right thinking and creativity uh, and yes. ideas and... I think taking a little bit of the business out of Blowing up the medicine. brainstorming, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think taking a little bit of the business thinking out of medicine. I, I think that when, when everything now has been quantified and, and a lot of healthcare professionals are having to fill in forms to, to cover themselves um, for, for uh, like insurance reasons and all the rest, I, I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, I think that we've lost the humanity in healthcare. Um, I, I think that it's we're losing people uh, in in healthcare because the the way that they're being managed feels disrespectful, and people aren't wanting to go into it. And and I think that's such a shame. It used to be a vocation, and I think we have lost a lot of that, and it's become more of a business. And business is kind of the opposite of humanity, and we need more humanity uh, in business, and especially in the medical business. Going back to your own career path, where you've been and what you've done and who you've worked with along the way, who, and it might be a whole (laughs) group of people, um, who have been the touchstone for you? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if... uh, I was trying to think if I'd had any mentors, anyone that I could describe as a mentor, and I I actually don't know if I have. There have been people who have been very important to me Mm -hmm. uh, through the years that have helped me and, and... got me back into a career if, if, if I've needed that. Um, but the people that have been most influential for me, I guess, have been the polymaths, because I guess that's what I would be described as, as somebody who does lots of different things. Um, so to me, I was always fascinated with da Vinci and all the different things that da Vinci did, that here was a guy who was as much scientist as he was artist. Mm-hmm. And that, that's very much where I see my, my own heart. I'm very interested in science. And, and I can code, um, and I'm very interested in art and, and these kind of things, and I don't see them as mutually exclusive. Um, so I love people who can turn their hands to lots of stuff, like Tom Waits um, as a musician and as an actor, and uh-huh. then Nick Cave, who's a screenwriter, a musician, uh, a poet. You know, it's, it's just extraordinary when, when these people can turn their hands and be so successful at different things. And I suppose they're the people who've been most influential to me, uh, even although I've never met any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I reckon that you don't have to necessarily have met people to be engaged by them, uh, to be inspired by them, uh, to want to ape who they are. Mm. I, I don't think you necessarily have to have sat down and had a cup of tea with them in order for that to um, have worked for you. Um, are you in a, a situation now where you feel that you've accrued enough life experience that you could... You could do some mentoring. Maybe you do already. Um, I I do from time to time, yes. Um, I I find it massively rewarding. I I think that there's a wonderful wonderful experience you can get from mentoring uh, people and teaching people is that you learn a lot about yourself. Because there's so much of what we do, we don't think about why we do it. And then when somebody asks you, oh, so so what do you do in this situation? It forces you to crystallise your thinking. And you get to know your yourself better <laughs> by mentoring other people and that's something that over the years over the last few years particularly I've I've learned a lot about me 
um, and and why I do things. And you don't shy away from a bit of self-examination, then. No, I, I um I, I'm not a narcissist, but you know I think it's important to spend a little bit of time with yourself uh-huh. and to get to know yourself. And and to me, m- mentoring other people was a catalyst for getting to understand who I am. Mm-hmm. And on a very basic level, it can be just enormously fulfilling to see someone get it to do well. Oh, seeing the light bulb go off above someone's head is the most satisfying thing. Having people, <laughs> like with my, my books, I occasionally get emails from people saying that, that uh, one of my books has really, really helped them and it's, it's pulled them out of a tricky situation. And that, that to me, um, is just the best thing, knowing that I have helped make someone's life better in some way for even a short amount of time. Next up on your list... Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. Why have you chosen this? Of course. Well, a few years ago, you had a man called um, Jacob Rees-Mogg on the show. We did, we did, yeah. And he played, he closed with God Save the Queen, inviting listeners to stand as it played. Um, Now, he's a man who represents the historic establishment and and who clings to centuries-old thinking. that's, That's what he is. That's what he stands for. And I wanted to react to that because in many ways I... I'm kind of the opposite of that. Um, The organisations that are most at risk at the moment, I think, are the ones that cling to the past. And I'm about helping companies move into the future in in a way that's effective and and, and focused. Um, So I would like to invite listeners to stand and do some energetic and rebellious pogoing to the Sex Pistols version of God Save the Queen. However you choose to uh, mark that track, entirely, entirely up to you. You're listening to Track Record on Share Radio, the Sex Pistols version of God Save the Queen, one of the choices of Dave Burse, who joins us today. When you're talking with businesses, particularly in the last 18 months or so, um, has Brexit come up? Has, All has, the time. has Has that... I don't know quite what they're asking you around this, maybe, but not, not when enough. it comes to moving a business forward... To, to thinking clearly and positively about harnessing creativity, moving forward into the future. Are, are the businesses that you're working with, um, are they thinking positively or negatively about where they're going? I, I wish they were thinking one or the other. They're thinking tentatively. And, and mm-hmm. that, to me, I, I find massively frustrating. I, I think it's, it's better to, to make a decision and do something, even if it's the wrong decision. It gives you something to recover from. And I do know that, as far as I'm concerned... Um, there's a there is one negative impact we're going to have from Brexit, and it's from the lack of free movement of people, because we find that people who move around are seven times more likely to be entrepreneurial, seven times mm. more likely. So people who move from another country. Now, that means if, if we don't have ourselves in our nation as free, much freedom of movement throughout the Europe, and we don't have people coming over here as much because it's harder to get into the UK, 
we are not going to be getting these people in the country and we're not going to be giving our own country people that experience. That and the whole idea of diversity are the biggest things that any company d can do to improve the ideas they came up with. So I'm, I'm very interested in this and I, I want to help companies counter the, the potential negative impact of this. But I think that companies need to be acting yesterday on this and to be preempting rather than waiting to see what other people do. You're listening to Track Record on Share Radio. Dave Burse is alongside. Next up on his list is Trombone Shorty. Here come the girls. <laughs> so, yeah, as as uh, as parents of a young child, my wife and I don't really get to go out and enjoy Hogmanay. Um, you know, we stay at home and and we watch Jules Holland's Hootenanny, which is one of the highlights of of the evening. <laughs> and we will see a new year as, as uh, on the show. And this year. There was this guy we'd never seen before, Trombone Shorty, and we'd never heard of him. And he was incredible. So this was a track that he played on the show, Here Come the Girls. And I just love this track. It's just, it's uplifting, it's funky, there's so much horns. Ah, beautiful. Shorty on track record on Share Radio. Dave Burse has been our guest on this edition. Is there another chapter? Are you yet pivoting in your career? I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> I, I, I seem to do this every few years. It's, it's not been... I've never had a destination, I guess. It's been about the journey. And at the moment, I think what I'm finding is where I am just now with my my writing and my teaching and my speaking and my consulting, that's something that is allowing me to explore new thought areas. It's allowing me to challenge my mind. So in many ways, this may actually be my ideal territory. But what I will be doing within this is I will be questioning and exploring different areas of humanity, different areas of the mind, different areas of business. Um, and I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, but I just want to... I just want to keep challenging my own brain and sharing what I learn as I go. It's been a privilege and an absolute pleasure. And uh, your musical choices have been many and varied in this edition. <laughs> uh, we end up with a bit of classic Johnny Cash. Tell us why you've chosen to close on this one. Yeah, I, you know, I was never really into Johnny Cash. During his, as a country singer, I was never really into what, what he did. It felt like it was old people's music. And then in his last few years... He started collaborating with a fantastic producer called Rick Rubin, who's a great big long beard. He looks as if he should be in ZZ Top. And uh, they created the American albums. And this track, Hurt, is probably the most famous track from the albums. And, and the video is just heartbreaking. It's, it's uh, him and his wife, June Carter, 
and they're in what used to be the, the, the Johnny Cash Museum, which had closed down for years, and they went back in to, to film there. And there's cobwebs everywhere, and the two of them are clearly unwell. And in fact, after the video was shot, three months later, June Carter died, and then another three months after that, Johnny Cash died as well. And you can just hear in this track, he's not well, but it's beautiful. Dave Burst, thank you for joining us on Track Record. Thank you. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know goes away in the air and you could have it all my empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you track record with Sue Dugan bringing you the life and insights of those that sit at the pinnacle of their career.